Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name's Cameron. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Canterbury Gardens, and I have the privilege of continuing us through our series in the book of Exodus. Now, I want to apologise from the outset. I've been sick all week. Uh, I'm on the mend, but my voice still sounds a bit funny, so hopefully it gets through, and I may be coughing and sneezing throughout. Um, but don't let that distract you from what God has to say uh, to us today from his word. Now, we're actually reaching a very pivotal moment in the book of Exodus. Now, I know every week seems like a pivotal moment in the book of Exodus, but this is particularly because God is about to start a new covenant with the people of Israel. We saw last week in chapter 19 that the people have actually arrived at the mountain. They've arrived at Mount Sinai, and that that should ring a bell in our mind, because way back in chapter 3, when God was speaking to Moses at the burning bush, he actually promised Moses that one of the evidences that he was going to be with him would be that he would bring the people back to the mountain and they would serve God there. And so this is really a big moment for Moses. It represents the completion of God's promise to him. And it really signals a shift in the book of Exodus from the kind of the rescue story to now the covenant that's going to be made. He's shown himself early to be the great I am. He's, he's called his people out of Egypt. He's made the nations know that he is the Lord. And now he's going to begin this covenant with them, including the Ten Commandments and all the commandments that are going to follow. And something that has already been highlighted in chapter 19, that this is a conditional covenant. I don't know if you picked that up at the start of chapter 19, that if they obeyed the Lord, they would become his special possession. If they listened, they would be a kingdom of priests to him. If... Now, today we're actually not going to look at the Ten Commandments, and it's going to look like we're skipping them, but I promise you we're not skipping them. Today we're actually going to just set the context around the Ten Commandments, what comes before it, what comes after it, so that next week Shabu can deal with the Ten Commandments in full and give them enough time. And so why don't we get into this passage um, right now, and I invite you to pray for yourselves, to pray for me now as we begin. Father, we thank you for the privilege of um, hearing from your word. We thank you that these words are life-giving, they're truth, Um, they're not dead, they're actually still alive and active, and they can pierce our heart, our deepest motives, our deepest intentions. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you do that today. I pray that you help us to see the beauty of Christ more and more fully from this passage. And I pray that, Lord, you'll help us to see the areas in our lives that need to change um, and that by your spirit you give us strength um, to make those changes. And so, Father, we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of the interesting things that I noticed in, during coronavirus times was was. was because it didn't really affect Australia very much, because we kind of were shielded a little bit from the seriousness of it, one of the challenges that they had was how do they make people obey the rules, right? They had that problem, like, we don't see the seriousness of it, so how do they make people obey? And so what they did, I don't know if you saw, they put these commercials on the TV to kind of stress the seriousness of the situation. They'd, they'd put someone who had COVID and talk about how they couldn't breathe. They'd have someone in hospital trying to kind of make you get a little bit of fear in you so you would, you would obey the rules. You know, they, 
And this really happens all the time in advertisement. There's, you know, they put this stuff on the smoking packets so that you're, you're scared of smoking. You, you see the serious nature of smoking. You know, you do this as parents when you threaten to kind of punish your children, to smack them or whatever. It happens all the time. And yet, interestingly enough, it doesn't really work that well, right? People still disobey the rules. People still smoke despite that. And I certainly still disobeyed my parents and got smacked several times, more than any any of the other brothers. Anyway. (laughs) But really, we're going to see something similar today. We're going to see God stressing the seriousness of the situation upon Israel to produce a little fear in them of what's actually taking place. Now, the verses won't be up on the screen, and I haven't got someone out to read them today because we're going to go through it quite carefully, verse by verse. And so I'd encourage you, if you have Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, maybe, John, could you hand out a Bible? Just pop your hand up if you need a Bible, and we can get one to you. But follow me along in Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. Verse 7 of chapter 19. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So already you see in this opening verse this covenant-type language happening, right? Moses sets the words before the people and the people respond that they will obey the words of the Lord. Keep going, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud and the people, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And so this is a really important verse in this section, right? God actually announces to the people that he's coming to them. Now, this is significant, right? Because the people of Israel, they've seen God's awesome rescue out of Egypt, right? They saw his hand, but they've never actually met the Lord. And so God's coming to them, and he says he's coming to them in a thick cloud. And so this is a big announcement. This is a big moment for the people of Israel. But the second question from this verse is why? Why did God want to come to his people? Why didn't he just continue to give the commands through Moses like he'd done so far? Well, again, that verse answers the question, right? Answers the question as to why God's going to appear on the mountain in this awesome way. Look at verse 9 again. Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. Why? So that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And so God says that he wants the people to hear his voice And believe Moses forever. And it's interesting, right? And and of course, we know that, that God's voice, the word of God, is such a significant theme right throughout the Bible. But the purpose of it is so that they would believe Moses forever. You'd kind of think that it would say that they would believe God forever, but it says believe Moses forever. And it's important to take note of that, right? Because God had raised Moses up as a prophet, as a leader for these people. In fact, he was a mediator between God and his people. 
And so God wanted his people beyond all doubt to know that what Moses said was true. Listen to him. He speaks on my behalf. And so this scene that we're about to witness, this incredible and and terrifying scene of God appearing to the people upon the mountain, the meeting point between God and man was for that purpose, that they may believe the words of Moses and ultimately all the words that are to come in the Ten Commandments and afterwards. And so first of all, this passage would have been a reminder to the people of Israel that they can trust in the truthfulness of this covenant given through Moses. Every word was true. They can trust the mediator, Moses. But let's keep moving through this passage because it keeps building on this. Verse 10, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And so, so God's coming, but the people, they need to prepare. Two whole days, they need to consecrate themselves and, and get ready for this coming of the Lord. But that's not all that had to be done. Look at verse 12. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. I wonder if you can actually sense the urgency in this section, right? This is serious business. They've got to set limits around the mountain to make sure that the people don't break through accidentally. Otherwise, they'll die. Moses has to go down and and consecrate them. And he warns them, that last line, do not touch a woman. It sounds funny to us, but the whole idea is don't do anything to mess up your consecration. Don't have sex with your wife. Don't do anything to mess this up. Because God is coming and we need to be prepared. This is serious. And you can see that in the passage. There's an urgency there. And then we come to the climax of this section of text. So as I read through this in verse 16, I want you to place yourself in this passage. What would it feel like to be there at this moment? What would it look like to be there in this moment? Read with me verse 16 and feel what's going on here. On the morning... Of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And, at, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. It's kind of like a scene out of an epic movie, right? There's smoke, there's lightning, there's thunder, there's trumpet blasts. The whole mountain trembled. And then in the midst of it, God speaking 
with Moses. And do you notice the people's reaction? They trembled. And who wouldn't tremble at this scene, right? I'd be trembling. They trembled. It's an incredible picture. And finally, finishing off this section of text, it won't be hard to to see what this passage is trying to emphasise. As I read through these final few verses, look at the repeating theme, the repeating phrase, time and time again. Look at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bring Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. You see that? Time and time again, don't let the people come near. In fact, don't let the priests come near. If they come near, they're going to die. The Lord's going to break out against them. You see, the people couldn't come before God. Only Moses could do that. And so what do we make of all of this? Well, I don't think it's difficult to see what this passage is trying to communicate to the people of Israel. It's trying to show the holiness and unapproachableness of God, right? That's what it's displaying in in clear terms, that God is holy and he is unapproachable. And this whole passage would have been a reminder to Israel, this is the one you serve. He's holy, he's unapproachable. I mean, look at all of this together, right? They had to prepare two whole days just to be near God. They didn't even go up to him. They just were kind of near him. They heard his voice. That was all they heard, but they had to consecrate themselves. They had to set up barriers lest the Lord break out against them if they broke through. And you kind of ask, why? This sounds like God can't control his temper or something. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is this passage is a clear reminder of a holy God interacting with an unholy people. You see, a holy God who is this holy and good cannot come near sin without destroying it. That's who he is in his nature. It's a holy God interacting with an unholy people. This is the incredible nature of our God. We should feel the weight of this section. It should remind us that God is serious business, that He's not someone to be trifled with. And notice that in the context of this covenant about to be made with the people, it displays in clear terms that this covenant could not bring the people to God. It could bring them close, but it could not bring them before God. It's a reminder to Israel of God's holiness, and it's a reminder to us. You see, this is why it would be a mistake for us just just to think, you know, God's a good bloke. One day we'll be out of reason with him and everything will be all right. That's the the laid-back Aussie attitude, is it not? You know, as long as I'm an okay person, mostly do the right thing, be nice to people, God will be kind to me. No, this passage reveals that even a consecrated people 
would be destroyed before God. This passage reveals that God is not someone to be treated lightly. And I fear that today we've made him something that he isn't. We've made him less than holy. We've reduced him from a God who shakes the earth to a God who wouldn't dare interrupt our pleasure, our leisure, our comfort, who wouldn't dare come and tell us what to do. This passage reminds us of who God is, of his holiness, and how he couldn't be approached by an unholy people. And so I guess the question to start with today is, do you appreciate that about God? Do you feel the weight of this awesome and holy God? Or have you begun to bring God down to your level, to reduce who he really is? Has he kind of just become the God that you only serve when it's convenient to you? Or you just kind of push off into a corner of your life? Has he become the God who kind of just comes and gives you a pat on the back every now and again, and then you can keep living the way you want to? No, this terrifying and awesome scene reminds us that God is holy and he can't come near an unholy people. And we do well, actually, just to let that sink in for a moment. To let that sink in. Let's keep moving through this passage. So, as I said earlier, next would come the Ten Commandments. Straight after this scene, God gives the Ten Commandments. But we're going to look at that next week. And as I said, we're going to look just at the context. So we're going to go to straight after the Ten Commandments. Because so far, what we've seen is this passage would have reminded Israel of the truthfulness of Moses, their mediator, and the covenant made through them. It said that, right? And then the second aspect is it reminded them of the holiness of God and how awesome he was. But there's one more thing that we're going to see in this passage in the very next chapter, starting at verse 18. Turn with me to chapter 20, verse 18, because it's kind of summarizing what's happened here. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, we will listen, but do not let God, God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now these verses once again bring our attention to this great and awesome scene, right? But notice what it emphasizes. It, no, it emphasizes that the people were terrified. They were afraid. They, they stood far off. In fact, we kind of see signs of the original purpose coming true, right? They recognize that they don't want to come near God. They say, Moses, we'll believe you. Just don't let us speak to him. We don't want to speak to God. They're terrified. They don't even want to hear God's voice. They want Moses to go for them. They've realized their need of a mediator. But interesting, look at Moses' reply in verse 20. Because we see the second purpose behind why God was doing this to the people. Why was he showing up in this particular way? The first reason was that they might believe Moses, right? That's what we read earlier. But the second reason, verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Sin. 
So God has created this terrible, this frightening scene of him coming before the people so that they would feel this fear and seriousness before God that they might not sin. So this this trembling that they were feeling, God wanted that to motivate them to remember who he was so they would not sin before him. It's interesting, right? This fear of being before a holy God and knowing that you were not holy was meant to propel them to obedience. Because these commands were serious business, right? We read about that onwards in Exodus, that they meant death if they weren't obeyed. Like That's big. <laughs> that was meant to help them to obey. And so there we have it. These verses remind Israel to trust their mediator Moses, to believe every word that he says. A reminder of God's holiness, his absolute holiness before an unholy people. And also a reminder of the fear that they felt so that they would obey. So they would obey the commands that were coming. Well, let's finish by reading verse 21, because I think it really actually sums up all that we've seen really well. I love this verse. Verse 21. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The people stood far off, but Moses drew near to God. And you know, that verse sums up not only this whole situation, but this whole covenant that is about to be made with the people of Israel, right? You see, it was a covenant that could not bring the people to God. We said that already, right? They had to stand far off. They were unholy. They were sinful. And is this not the story of Israel, right? They had all the sacrificial system, but despite that, they still couldn't come close to God. They still sinned. They still messed up. They couldn't obey these commandments and it ended in disaster for them. They failed to enter the promised land. They failed to have a righteous king. And in the end, through their constant sin and rebellion, we saw last year in Lamentations that they were completely wiped out in Babylon and exiled because they couldn't obey these commandments. It didn't matter the, the, the amazingness of this Seen, they were too sinful. Because it didn't matter the fear they felt, it couldn't propel them to obedience from their hearts. That was the issue, right? And more than just the story of Israel, this verse encapsulates the story of the whole Bible, right? This is the great dilemma of humanity. We're all a people who stand far off. We're all a people who cannot come near to God because of our sin, because of our separation from him. But notice what this text foreshadows. You see, Israel didn't fully get it, but it's there, right? You see, Israel even recognized the problem. They knew they couldn't come near to God. In fact, they didn't want to. They were so terrified. They said, Moses, you go to him. We'll stay at our distance. You see, they saw the problem, but they saw the solution as well. They needed a mediator. They told Moses to go before him. They needed someone else to go before God and man, to bridge that gap. And this is not only the solution for Israel, but it's the solution for all of us today. You see, we can't do anything to bridge the gap between us and God. We need a mediator, but we need one better than Moses. 
Because Moses, in the end, was just a human. He sinned in the end. He, he died. He didn't even get to go into the promised land himself. And so this passage points us forward to the God-man, Jesus Christ, the one who was fully God and fully human, who could actually bridge that gap, who could, by his death on the cross, take upon himself our pollution, our sin, and then by his resurrection, on a very different third day, right? The earth still shook, there was still darkness over the whole land, but it was a very different third day because he rose again, forever showing that he had solved the problem. He had bridged the gap. He brings his people into the very presence of God when they believe in him. You see, this is why we need Christ. Only he could bridge that gap. Only he could truly deal with the problem that we couldn't come close. We couldn't come close. You see, because he stood far off for us, He went to the cross and became sin and was rejected rather than us so that we, when we believe in this new mediator, he ushers us into the very presence of God. You see, he takes us all the way up the mountain to stand before God. And amazingly, this is the amazing part, we stand with boldness. We stand with confidence because we too have been made holy. Our mediator has gone before us. And brings us in. This is the beauty of the gospel. And it should sink in that how amazing that is when you see that scene of the people not even able to come close, yet Jesus Christ brings us to God. And God comes to dwell in us by his spirit. This great, awesome, holy God with us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 because it's going to really sum up everything that I've been saying here. It's some really amazing verses. Hebrews chapter 12. It's speaking about this exact scene that we've just read. Chapter 12, verse 18. It says this. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is what we've just been reading, right? This is the scene that it's unpacking. And then verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, these verses, they're doing an amazing comparison for us between two mountains, two very different mountains. And it's trying to show us that we haven't come to the same place as Israel. We haven't come to this terrifying scene where we have to stand far off and shake with fear. No, we've come to a very different place. We've come to the heavenly city of Jerusalem. We've come to God himself. We've come to the spirits who have been made righteous. 
We've come to Christ, the perfect mediator, whose blood speaks a better word than Abel. What does that mean? Abel's blood cried out vengeance and justice, whereas Jesus' blood cries out forgiveness of sins for those who would believe. What a picture. What a picture this is. But don't miss what this means for us. You see, just like how God came to the mountain so that the people of Israel might hear his voice and believe in his mediator, so God in Christ went to a different place. He went to the cross and he rose again, the very word of God himself, so that we might trust in our new and better mediator. And you see, just how Exodus 19 highlighted to Israel the holiness of God that they couldn't come near, so it highlights that to us, but it reminds us of how this new mediator has brought us near to God, into his very presence. We can come to him, we can praise him, we can pray before him, we can be bold before him and ask things of him. But also notice one other distinction. I think this is really important. The mountain scene The first mountain scene was meant to cause fear in Israel that they would be motivated to obey. But that didn't happen, right? They couldn't obey. The fear didn't work. They needed something else. And we haven't come to that place. Now, you see, we've come to a different motivation altogether because of Christ's love and God's love for us because he first loved us we love him we are now motivated to obedience because of the love of Christ that has been poured into our hearts by the spirit because we now serve as adopted children who are no longer under the spirit of slavery We are motivated by our love for him and not our fear of him. Of course we still have a reverence. We appreciate who we were and where we've come to be. But we no longer serve him in the same kind of fear. As the New Testament would put it, we are propelled by the love of God. Or in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. What amazing truth, right? And this all comes from these two chapters in the book of Exodus. And so I guess the questions to ask ourselves this morning, firstly, do we trust this better mediator? This passage points us forward to the cross as proof, forever proof, that we can trust Jesus Christ because he really did die. It was a historical event and he really did rise from the dead and it displays to us that we can trust him. Do you trust him? Don't look within yourself for that trust. Look outward to that cross as proof forever that he's a trustworthy mediator. We can trust him. And if you don't, believe in Christ here this morning, if you've never come to see him as the one who bridges that gap between you and God, then this passage actually warns us that Jesus is coming back again. And this time he's going to shake not just the earth, but the heaven and all that there is. And it's going to be a much more terrifying scene than this passage in Exodus. And it reveals to us that only those who know Christ will stand. Do you believe in him? 
I encourage you to turn to this mediator. It doesn't matter how sinful you are, he can bring you before the presence of God. You saw that scene back in Exodus. None of the people could come near. It didn't matter who they were, but Jesus can bring us to God. Secondly, do we actually understand that we're being brought near to God? Do we recognize and appreciate that? How might we not neglect that this week? How might we not push the fact that God has come to live with us in the midst of all that we go through in our week-to-week life? That awesome and holy God on that mountain is dwelling inside us. How can we appreciate that as we go out throughout our week? How can we depend upon him? How can we rely upon him in all the things that we go through? And finally, and I want to spend a little bit of time here, do we obey God out of fear or love? What motivates us? And if we're honest, if we're honest, and that's hard to do in church, sometimes we're motivated by things other than love for God. Sometimes we're motivated by fear, maybe not necessarily fear of God in an unhealthy way, but maybe we're motivated by fear of not measuring up, fear of being a bad Christian, fear of other people's judgments. It happens all the time, right? A lot of our godliness is driven not by love for God, but a fear of something. This is not what God wants. Someone explained it to me like this once, and it stuck with me, that if someone, if a woman came up to me and wanted to commit adultery and I was confronted with that temptation and in my mind I kind of, you know, went through the process of, well, you know, if this happened, then, you know, my marriage is going to be ruined, I'm going to be a disgraced pastor, my life's going to be looking so different if this happens and, and I resist that temptation and I go home. Well, good, I mean, anything to resist the temptation, right, but then I need to go home and repent because I only obeyed God out of fear of the result of what would happen. Fear of the punishment of what would happen. I needed to repent because I didn't obey God out of a love for him, that he is more beautiful and more satisfying than any sin. God cares about our motivation. God cares about the why we do things. And so let us pray. Let us pray that God will fill our hearts again with the understanding As Ephesians puts it, the height, depth, width, and breadth of God's love for us in Christ Jesus, that out of that we may love and serve God. That he may cast out this fear that still remains at times. Because it does. But most of all, let us trust in our precious and perfect mediator. In all our shortcomings, this mediator who has brought us near to a holy and awesome God, who's brought us into his very presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this picture, this true event that happened in Exodus where you appeared to the people of Israel. It's an awesome scene, Lord. That is terrifying because a God coming to an unholy people is is terrifying. But Lord, it displays to us our need 
of a mediator, one better than Moses, the God-man Christ who came to reconcile us to you. Lord, I pray that we may trust Jesus, that we may look to his cross and resurrection always as a proof that you are so trustworthy. No matter what we're going through in our life, we can trust you. Also, Lord, let it be a reminder to us of the beauty of the gospel that we no longer have to stand far off like the people of Israel. We've been ushered into your very presence. In fact, you've come to live within us. Lord, help us to appreciate that. Help us to depend on you every day to know that that presence is with us. Your spirit is with us. And Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you'll remind us and reaffirm to us your love for us, proven in the cross, so that we may obey you out of love and not fear, fear of others, fear of not being a good enough Christian or whatever it is, Lord. I pray that you expose those lies and help us to serve you from a heart that loves you. Lord, we need you. None of this can be done in our own strength. So we pray, Holy Spirit, for your empowerment. In Jesus' name, amen.